Premavahini Chapter 19 Seeds for the Bhakti Sprouts The attitude of the worshipper and the worshipped is the seed of bhakti. First, the worshipper's mind is attracted by the special qualities of the object of worship. He tries to acquire for himself these special qualities. This is the sadhana. In the early stages of sadhana, the distinction between worshipper and worshipped is full. But as the sadhana progresses, this feeling will diminish. When attainment is reached, there will be no distinction whatsoever. Whatever may be the object of worship one is grasped and loved and sought by sadhana, one should have firm faith that Jivatma is Paramatma. There is only one wish fit to be entertained by the sadhaka, and that is the realization of the Lord, Ishvara Sakshatkar. There is no room in the mind for any other wish. That is why Kunti Devi prayed thus to Lord Krishna, let us have always, O Jagad Guru, distress and misery, if only you grant us your darshan, the darshan which destroys rebirth. The bhakta who desires the supreme and seeks to attain it should have this mental attitude. Then, regardless of joy and sorrow, without any worry about one's own satisfaction, he will engage himself in sadhana firmly, uninterruptedly and with conviction. And after understanding the reality, he will have full contentment. From this point of view, there is no difference between a Jeevan Mukta and a Bhakta. They are both beyond ahamkara or ego. Prakriti with its three attributes of gunas and Varnashrama Dharma. The hearts of such will be full of compassion and the urge to do good to the world. It is their Brahmanandam, supreme bliss, which impels them to act in this way. Such a Bhakta will have no desires, for desires are the products of feelings of I and mine, of Ahankara and Mamakara. It is only after they are uprooted that a person becomes a Bhakta, isn't it? So there can be no room in him for desire. He is a Bhakta of Amrita Swarupa, immortal nature. For one with that Amrita Swarupa, there can be no appetite except for the sweetness of Ananda or bliss. Premavahini Chapter 20 For a sadhaka, today is his. But tomorrow? Yama, the god of death, is as omnipresent as Shiva. Yama is associated with the Deha, or body. He cannot affect the Jiva. Shiva is associated with Jivi. 
but he will not allow the body to subsist for any length of time. The body is the essential vehicle for the GV to understand its real nature. Still, who knows when it will become the target for the attention of Yama, the master of the Veha or body. Who knows when this body will get entrapped in the coils of Yama's ropes. The Jeevi, burdened with this easily destructible body, must grasp the above-mentioned caution and be all eager to merge in Siva, whatever the moment, that very moment. No single moment that is passed by can be turned back. People usually delay doing some things, today's till tomorrow, and yesterday's till today. But the tasks of sadhana are not of such a nature. For them there is no yesterday and no tomorrow. This very moment is the moment. The minute that has elapsed is beyond your grasp. So too the minute that is approaching is not yours. It is only that jivi which has engraved this understanding on its heart that can merge in Siva. Without assimilating this truth in the heart, the jivi is immersed in aims of today and tomorrow based on the assumption that the body is all-important. It thus lays the foundations for worldly attachment. And so it is born again and again with body, and continues to have the darshan of Yama. It is the right of the sadhaka to have Shiva darshan, and not Yama darshan. He will not wish for it, nor even contemplate it. Only those who have this relationship of the Deha and the Jiva are men. Those who have realized this principle will not flag even to the slightest extent in their sadhana. These days man is content with visualizing and experiencing evanescent worldly joys. He has no rest. Spending the nights in sleep and the days in eating and drinking, he grows and grows until in his old age death pursues him. Then he cannot decide where to go or what to do. All his senses have weakened. No one, nothing can rescue him, so he ends as obedient meat to the jaws of death. How sad it is that this human life, precious as an invaluable diamond that cannot be priced at all, has been cheapened to the standard of a worn-out, worthless coin. There is no use repenting after wasting time without profit, without meditating on God or practicing any sadhana to realize Him. What is the use in planning a well when the house has caught fire? When is it to be dug? When will water become available? When is the fire to be extinguished? It is an impossible task. If, at the very start, there was a well ready, how helpful it would be on such critical occasions. Beginning to contemplate on God during the last moments of life is like beginning to dig the well. So if from now on 
one equips himself by the contemplation of God off and on, it will stand him in good stead when the end approaches. Start today this hadhana that has to be done tomorrow. Start now this hadhana that has to be done today. One does not know what is in store the next moment. Therefore there should be no delay in engaging oneself in this hadhana that has to be done. Physical stamina is also necessary for this hadhana, and so the body has to be tended, though over-tending causes damage. To the degree that is essential, it should be looked after with great care. Premavahini Chapter 21 The Path for a Bhakta, the Devotee, to Become a Mukta or liberated. This human birth is very difficult to attain. It cannot be got for a song. The body is as a caravanserai, the mind is its watchman, the jivi is the pilgrim. And so no one of these has any kinship with the others. The pilgrim is bound to salvation city, Moksha Puri. For a trouble-free journey, there is nothing so reliable as Namas Marana, the remembrance of the name of the Lord. Once the sweetness of that name has been experienced, the person will not have any exhaustion, unrest or sloth. He will fulfill his pilgrimage of sadhana joyfully, enthusiastically, and with deep conviction. Still, for achieving this sadhana, sadbhava, or righteousness, is very important. Without fear of sin, righteousness cannot originate. Love of God, too, cannot develop. This fear produces bhakti, which results in the worship of the Lord. Stupidity is the root cause of man's downfall. It is like sheep. When one rolls into a pit, all fall into the same pit. That is ruinous. Avoiding this, it is better to think about the good and the bad, the pros and cons of whatever is done, and then jump. Death will not leave off anyone, whatever he be. It continues to threaten all. If it is another's turn today, it is yours tomorrow. Look at the blossoms in the garden. When the gardener plucks the flowers, the buds exult that tomorrow is their turn to be gathered into his hands, and their faces are so full of joy when they unfold in that hope. Do they feel any sadness? Do their faces droop? Are they any the less bright? No. The moment they know that the next day it is their turn, they make themselves ready with great gusto and excitement. So also, 
one must be ready on the part of sadhana, enthusiastically remembering the name of the Lord without worrying and feeling sad that one's turn is tomorrow or so because someone died today. The body is like a tube of glass. Inside it the mind is ever changeful and restless. Seeing its antics, death keeps laughing. The bird, Jiva, is in the nine-holed pot. It is a wonder how the bird has a body, how it came into the pot, and how it rises up and goes. The suras, that is the devas, the gods, the angels, the munis, that is the sages, and naras, that is human beings, of the nine khandas or continents and the nine dvipas or islands, are all undergoing the sentence of carrying about with them the burden of the body. Now, of these, who are the friends and who the enemies? When egoism dies out, all are friends. There are then no enemies. This lesson has to be remembered by all. Man is experiencing joy and misery through the year. Therefore, avoiding the cruel arrows of hard words, one should use words that are sweet, pleasant and soft. And with that softness, add the sweetness of truth. To make the word soft, if falsehood is added, it would only clear the way for some more misery. A person who has become a sadhaka should use very soft, sweet, true and pleasant words. Such persons can be recognized by their good qualities themselves. Thus, of those who have become sadhakas, the manas or mind is Mathura, the rhythm or heart is Dvaraka, and the deha or body is Kashi, Banaras. At the seat of the tenth gate, it is possible to realize the Param Jyoti, the supreme effulgence. All efforts are of no avail if the heart is not pure. Look at the fish. Living as it does perpetually in water, has it rid itself of its foul smell to any extent? No. The vasanas, the cravings, the attachments of man will not disappear even if he is immersed in many heart-purifying sadhanas so long as the heart is full of the illusion of egoism. Such a man if he is desirous of getting rid of the feeling of I and mine, must worship Hari or God. He must become a sadhaka without likes and dislikes. Vikaras, agitations of the mind like these, cannot coexist in the same heart with the sadhu nature. Light and darkness can never coexist at the same place at the same time, isn't it so? 
He whose heart is ruled by the group of six passions can have only a hankara as his mantri or minister. Those who have such a mantri or minister are worse than foolish men, however great they claim to be as pandits, sadhus or sannyasins. Can a donkey carrying perfume become an elephant? Can an ass change into an elephant simply by carrying a bundle of sandalwood? It can appreciate the weight and not the scent. But the elephant pays no regard to the weight, it inhales the sweet scent. So too, the sadhaka or the sannyasin or the bhakta will take in only the pure truth, the pure essence of good activities, of godliness, and of the shastras, the Vedas, and the Upanishads. On the other hand, if for the sake of mere scholarship, learning, and disputation, one goes on arguing, he will know only the weight of logic, missing the saint of truth. The onlookers may praise them as the embodiments of the Shastras and the Vedas. But where even the essentials are lacking, how can there be an embodiment? For those in search of the essence, the burden is no consideration. If mere reason is employed, nothing worthwhile is gained. Love, prema, is the one big instrument for the constant remembrance of the Lord. To keep that instrument safe and strong, the sadhaka needs no other appliance than the scabbard of viveka, discrimination. There are many in the world who utilize their vast learning in disputations and believe they are superior. This is a great mistake. If they are really so learned, there will not be so much disputation at all. They will assume silence as the honorable cause. Because those exalted in learning will have experienced the essence of the Vedas, the Shastras and the Upanishads. They will see that the nature of that essence, its core, the purity of the Godhead it proclaims are all one however one may realize it. They know that God appears in whatever form he is taken to have and that he manifests in action to anyone the feelings which he associates with him. Of these two, what is important is the acquisition of single-mindedness and equanimity, free from vikara, that is likes and dislikes, and not the acquisition of argumentativeness. Why have we all these sadhanas, all this japa or repetition of the Lord's name, dhyanam or meditation, bhajana, etc.? Is it not for acquiring single-mindedness, one-pointedness? Once that one-pointedness has been earned, human effort becomes unnecessary its inner significance will then be revealed to him. So those eager to become sadhakas, to attain salvation, should not yield to arguments and counter-arguments.
They should not be enticed by the wiles of bad feeling. They should see their own faults and not repeat them again. They should guard and protect the one-pointedness they have acquired with their eyes fixed on the goal they are after, dismissing as trash whatever difficulties, defeats and disturbances they might encounter on their path. One must dwell on such subjects as would give enthusiasm and joy, and not waste valuable time building up doubts regarding all things big and small. Whatever else is unimportant, these two have to be attended to as essential. 1. The conceit that one knows everything. And 2. Doubt whether it is or is not. These are the two chief enemies of the sadhaka. What does it matter who these enemies are? One should decide for oneself that one is firmly fixed in one's reality. If that is pure, everything is pure. If that is true, everything is true. If you wear blue eyeglasses, though nature is resplendent with many colors, you see only the color you have worn, don't you? If the world appears to you as with differences, that is due to the fault in you only. If all appears as one prema, that too is your prema only. For both these, the feeling in you is the cause. It is only because one has faults within himself that he sees the world as faulty. When there is no knowledge of fault in oneself, no fault can be found in others even on searching. For shouldn't one know which are faults? Now a question may arise whether the Lord himself has faults, because he too searches for faults. But how can it be said that the Lord is searching for faults? He searches for goodness only, not for faults and sins. Those are based on the standard of the gunas or the qualities of each. The Lord will not examine the wealth, the family, the gotra, the lineage, the status or the sex. He sees only the righteousness, the sadbhava. Those endowed with such sadbhava, he considers as deserving his grace, whoever they are, whatever they are. Therefore, develop sadbhava goodness and righteousness. Live and act in joy and love. These two are sufficient. Salvation can be attained without fail. Prema Vahini, Chapter 22 Manava and Dhanava The Differences in Character Manavas or men are full of prema or love. Their hearts are springs of mercy. They are endowed with true speech. Peace is the characteristic of the mind of man. That is the innate quality of the mind. 
In order to search for peace, there is no need to go anywhere else. As gold and silver lie hidden under the earth, and pearl and coral under the sea, peace and joy also lie hidden in the activities of the mind. Desirous of acquiring these hidden treasures, if one dives and turns mental activities inward, then he becomes full of prema or love. Only those who have so filled themselves with love and who live in the light of that love can be called men. Those devoid of prema are dhanavas, monsters, subhumans. That holy quality of love will not remain unmanifested off and on. It will be ever-present without change. It is one and indivisible. Those saturated with love are incapable of spite or selfishness, injustice, wrong or misconduct. But in those who have no love, the above qualities are always above everything else. Dhanavas are those who trample on love and consider inferior qualities as important, while Manavas are those who consider those inferior qualities as snakes to be destroyed and love alone as the quality to be fostered. Bad conduct and bad habits distort the humanness of man. Hearts filled with the nectar of love indicate genuine humanity in man. By prema or love is meant love which is unsullied, unselfish, devoid of impurity and continuous. Between Manava and Dhanava, the difference is only Ma and Da. But the letter Ma is soft, sweet and immortal in symbolism, while the sound Da is merciless, lawless and burning. Can they be called men who have no sweetness in them and who endeavor to suppress the craving for immortality? Theirs is the nature of dhanavas, though the form is human. For it is not the form that is primary, it is the character. How can those with human form be called men if they have no kindness and no rightness? and if they have the nature of dhanavas. No, they cannot be called so. Now the sentences in my discourse are not addressed on the basis of form, they are based on the qualities of men. Among men there are dhanavas in plenty. They both look alike, but their qualities make them distinguishable as manava and dhanava. The Manavas engage themselves in the soft and sweet deeds of kindness, rightness, love and truth, 
and they are witnesses to the possibility of realizing and manifesting one's immortality. Their good nature is resplendent on their faces as ananda, bliss. But without that goodness, even if he is infatuated with joy, his face will indicate only the destructive fire of the dhanava. It will not have the grace of ananda. <laughs> 